Well, uh, this morning we continue our study in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians 1, 27 through 30, closing out chapter 1. Uh, if you need a Bible, should be a Bible there in the pew in front of you. Uh, if not, download an app on your phone, smartphone. And uh, if you have a flip phone, call a friend. I'm just kidding, don't. Um, but uh, we want to follow along in the Word of God. This is going to be one of those sections in this study that I believe is a very important message for us as the church to hear. As you know, the Apostle Paul is writing this. He's in prison. And he's writing to the people at Philippi, the believers. They've sent Epaphroditus there to encourage Paul. Epaphroditus has gotten sick. Paul's going to send him back. He says, thank you, but he needs to go back and be with you guys. I appreciate your care uh, towards me and towards the ministry. And they're concerned. What's going to happen? Paul, at this point, when we get to this section, he's come to the conclusion that, hey, I, I may die. This, is, this may be the end. And he, he's contemplating that thought. And he says, if I live on, it means Christ. His life is about Christ. And so if he lives on, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. So he knows that no matter what should happen, he's okay because he's okay in Christ. His life is consumed with Christ. And last week I left you with a thought, fill in the blank. To live is blank. Fill in the blank this morning. That's what I challenged you last week. To live is what? What do you live for? What is your life about? I live to work. I live to make more money. I live for my family. I live for my bride. I live. What are you living for? What is your purpose? The Apostle Paul says to live is Christ. He recognized that when Christ came and died on the cross for his sin, when he surrendered his heart and his life to Jesus Christ, Saul became Paul. His life was transformed, 180. He now lived with the purpose and focus in mind to live for Christ. And church, that's what we should desire to live for, to live for Him. So now he's going to go into this section, to live for Christ. Well, how are we to live for Christ? And so this section is going to look at how we are to live for Christ. This week is Thanksgiving. Uh, I know, I've already talked to some, some I ain't going to say who because everybody show up at their house today, but somebody's having Thanksgiving today and Thursday. But uh, anyway, boy, that sounds good, don't it? Varners are actually having Christmas today and Thanksgiving Thursday and then Thanksgiving Saturday. <laughs> anyway, I'm excited. Can you tell? Um, I love this time of year. One thing I'm really disappointed about, though, I heard this a couple weeks ago. They were taking... Peanuts off of the television. They, they're not going to show Charlie Brown. Now, hold on, hold on. There's more to come. I just got this phone call coming in, telling me more update. Did y'all y'all hear that originally? Don't correct me. I know where we're going with this, but you heard that that, that you know used to. This is a tradition, man. Um, you love watching the the Peanut Story, right? Charles uh, Schultz, right? That's the that's the guy. Look to there like, Daddy, come on. Of course, it's Charles Schultz. But anyway. So I guess, and I, you know, it could be fake news, who knows these days, um, but my understanding is like Apple TV bought the rights and they're going to show it. So if you have Apple TV, but then I just saw like two days ago, 
PBS is going to carry it. So, hey, you paid for that, right? So, great. So, I guess it's still on there, so I feel good about it. I, I feel good. I, I, I wanted to, to, to see, you know, my peanuts. Thanks, you know, um, great pumpkin Charlie Brown kind of stuff, right? You know, my son, Luke, he's an, he's an artist. If you haven't seen his sketching, he's, real, he's really good. He had the privilege sometime back, he actually met a guy uh, who worked for Peanuts. And it was so cool because he, he showed uh, Luke his drawings and he told, told him to get, you know, got to get a portfolio together. You got to, you know, start working on this. And so that inspired Luke to start doing a portfolio, start drawing. And, uh, but anyway, um, I want to share this little story from, from the Peanuts cartoon. You may be familiar with it. You remember the story in, in Peanuts where Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channel. You remember that episode? Let me, let me, let me walk you through it. So uh, Lucy demands Linus to change the TV channel, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? Asked Linus. These five fingers, said Lucy. Individually, they're nothing but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. <laughs> which, which channel do you want? <laughs> Linus responded. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> I mean, that's a clip worth playing. I should have brought that one up today. Guys, Here's what, I, and here's the reason why I share that story with you. As church, we're oftentimes like this. But when we're together, we're a force to be reckoned with. Paul is going to transition now on how we're to live for Christ. And when we go through this section, I want you to keep this in mind. When we get ready to read this, th there's a lot of plural form. Now, here in the South, we like to say y'all, but this is that you all. Again, guys, together as a church. So he's going to address the people at Philippi, the church at Philippi, as one unit. As one unit. He's going to begin to focus on the importance. If you're going to live for Christ, church, we've got to live in unity. And so he's going to start it here. This is actually going to be what we're looking at today is in the Greek is one complete sentence. It's just one sentence. And then chapter 2, he's going to continue this thought in unity. Now, we're not going to get into chapter 2 today, but I wanted you to know that. So as you're reading this at home or you're studying this, really, this is if, if I were the one doing the chapter headings, we would probably start chapter 2, verse 1 right here. So keep that in mind so that we can look at the whole of context of Scripture. With that said, let's uh, look at our passage of Scripture today. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, 
having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. I know some of you uh, are, are, are kind of recoiling, probably uh, wondering, pinching yourself. There's an actual insert in your bulletin, and it's got fill in the blanks. So, yes, some of you have found that already. I know it's shocking. Dude. Now, everybody, oh, there is? Uh, yeah, I know. Once a year, this is Merry Christmas, right? I mean, I was, I was, I was feeling generous today. Um, no, actually, I had a, my wife made the comment. She says, you know, this was kind of one of those weeks where there was less, less interruptions. There, there's always interruptions, but those are God's interruptions, so those are good interruptions. But I actually had a lot of good study time, actually the past couple of weeks, and so um, I, I had a little extra, you know, it was just flowing and going, so there you go, a little insert. Feel free to follow along. Uh, that's, that's the outline for today. With that said, I'll give you guys an outline. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. This is, this is what Paul is saying. So when we ask the question, how we are to live for Christ, how are we to live for Christ? Well, through our conduct. That's found in verse, the first section of, of verse 27. Then we're going to look at our cooperation. And again, that's as a church in unity. And then the third point we hope to address will be conflict. How are we to live for Christ in conflict? And so this is, this is sort of what we're going to unpack. This is where we're going. So to begin with, let's take a look here at conduct. You'll notice that here in this uh, verse 27, he says, only. Now let me stop for a second. Only. Paul, in, in essence, he's saying, look, I, I, if only you'll hear me on this. If only you'll get this. All right? Whether I live, whether I die. I, you know what? Here's what I want you to take away. Church, hear me on this. If only... You would let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Church, if there's ever been a time when we need to let our light shine through our conversation, through our conduct, it's now. Now this word also here is defined citizen. Now think about that. We, when we did our introduction, you may recall, what was Philippi? Philippi was one of those outpost cities, right? It was highly populated by Roman citizens, Roman soldiers. They were very patriotic. It's no accident that Paul is, is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit using this word citizen. And again, we understand this, guys. I mean, we know what this is like, right? We're, we're sitting down at a ball game or we're somewhere in an event and all of a sudden Lee Greenwood's song, and I'm proud to be an American. We all jump up to our feet, right? Yeah. Pledge of Allegiance, right? We, we should, right? We understand the idea of, of, just like they would have there in Philippi, the Roman soldiers, the Roman citizens, as Americans, American citizens, right? But notice what Paul is saying. He's writing this right into the heart of a very patriotic town. And he's saying, look, you know what citizen you are? You're a citizen of heaven. He's going to reiterate this later on in Philippians 3, right? Our allegiance is to a kingdom that will come. That kingdom comes spiritually when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are grafted in. We are a part of the family of God. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are ambassadors for Christ. Paul uses this type of language in his writing. 
He wants us to understand, guys, it's okay to be an American citizen. It's okay to be America. But it's Christ first. And so Paul's reminding them in their conduct, in their conversation, in their citizenship, don't forget whose you are. You're, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So this idea of conduct, conversation, citizenship, it really speaks to how you live. So how are you living? You know, the, the, the world likes to use that for, oh, I'm living large, you know. Well, we're probably all going to be living large after Thanksgiving this week. <laughs> anyway, that's a bad joke. Um, how are you living? What are you living for? Paul wants us to get this point. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. That word worthy, it's the idea of a scale. In those days, you would oftentimes come and, and you would bring silver or gold to pay for something and there would be stones on the other side. And so in order to find out the value and the worth of what you were bringing, they would put it on the scale. And that should balance out. Now what Paul's not saying, Paul's not saying, hey, somehow, some way you can live up to Christ in your conduct. Guys, our, our, our good deeds apart from Christ are filthy rags. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to go to church enough. You're not going to read your Bible enough. You're not going to be a good neighbor enough to earn your way to heaven. That's not how it works. That doesn't balance the scale. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. If we got what we deserve, we deserve death. But the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one who balanced the scale. He's the one who made us right in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. He's the one who's worthy. But because of who He is and because of our representation of Him because of the call on our life to be ambassadors. Because He says, be ye holy for I am holy. Because these things are in the Word of God, therefore, how then shall we live? You know, if you go outside of this country as an American citizen and people know you are an American, uh, a lot of times they, they, they can tell, right? Uh, I used to work on a cruise ship with 1,200 uh, people representing... Uh, uh, 50-some-plus uh, countries, and, and it was just, you know, tight quarters, to say the least. And, I mean, people from all over the world. Now, I won't uh, upset you with a lot of the mindset of most people around the world when it comes to America. I always found it a little humorous, though, because, you know, they dog us, but they all want to come here. I mean, <laughs> you know, go figure. But we do represent our country. I want to know this morning, Paul wants to know this morning, how are we representing Christ? How are we representing His kingdom? Now again, you're not going to do that in your own strength. I'm not going to do that in my own strength. I'm not going to balance that scale by my own efforts. And that's not what Paul's saying. He says here that I, I want you to uh, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Christ has balanced that. Paul says whether I'm present, or whether I'm absent. What's he speaking of here? What's he referencing here? I, I believe Paul is saying, 
Paul should be able to hear of their testimony. What's your testimony this morning? Have you been saved by the blood of the Lamb? Have you been bought with a price? Do you belong to Christ? Are you a Christian? If you are here and you are a Christian today, then your life should have been transformed. You should be changed from the inside out. You've you've not arrived. You're not perfect. Of course not. That's not what God's calling you to. He's your perfection. That's not an excuse for me to live like the devil. When Christ came into my life, He changed my heart. He changed my desires. He changed my direction. That's what repentance and belief is. I was headed this way, straight to hell, and Christ grabs hold of my heart. I cry out to Him for mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And He says, Whosoever shall call upon His name shall be saved. And in that moment when I cried out to the Lord, He saved me. He transformed me. He gripped my heart and He gave me new direction. And now He's begun a work in me, a new work. And as believers, that new work doesn't stop. Yeah, now if we're not careful, we can resist. We can choose not to grow in our faith. We don't feed on the Word. We don't gather with the saints. And that'll stun our growth. But if we'll yield our life to Christ more and more, He who began a good work in us, He will complete it until the day of redemption. He will begin to change us. He'll begin to change our desires. And all of a sudden now we're feeding the new man instead of the old man. And as you begin to feed the new man, you begin to find that new purpose. You begin to find that life in Christ. Paul wanted to hear whether he was able to come back to them or whether he ended up dying. Those testimonies, the reputation of the Christian would be heard throughout the world. Those people at Philippi, man, they're they're together. Those people at Philippi, man, they're generous people. Those people at Philippi, they're separate. They're different from, from that society around them. There's something different about those guys. And church, that's what he's called us to, to come out of the world, to be separate, to be different. 3 John 1.12 said this, Demetrius had a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our testimony is true. What's he saying there? What's John saying there? Again, there were missionaries coming through and they wanted to, hey, where's a good place you know, I can, I can stop at? You know, hey, that Demetrius in that church over in that town, he's, man, he's a godly man, he's a good Christian, he's, he's just... You know, everybody knows Demetrius, man. He's, he's just a, he's a, he's a righteous man. He loves the Lord. Could that be said about you? If I were to ask a neighbor, a co-worker, or would I get an earful? <laughs> you, we need to ask, guys, how am I living? Who am I living for? How is my light shining? Or is it hidden? Is it hidden under the cares of this world? Is it hidden under my wants, my desires, what I think is important? Is it filled with the things that my life is blank? Paul says, if only you would let your conduct, your conversation, your way of living, if only you would let your way of living be worthy of the gospel. You know whose you are. You don't belong to yourself. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
And as we know the truth, as we allow the truth to hide in our hearts so we won't sin against God, as we begin to feed on that, it changes us, guys. It's going to change you. And that's okay. That's a great thing. Let the Word of God, the truth of God, transform you so that your light is growing brighter and brighter. Grace upon grace. Revelation 12, 11 says this. It says, and they overcame him, speaking of Satan, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to, to the death. This is speaking of tribulation saints. When that day comes and a, God's wrath is going to be poured out upon this earth, there will be those saved during the great tribulation period. And the Antichrist is in rule and, and, and it's just unseen terror upon the earth. There will be many who will overcome in the midst of those horrific circumstances because of the blood of the Lamb. And they lived out that faith. It was evident. And that's why it cost them their life. So, with that said, we see cooperation. Here's the second point. Notice if you would, in verse, uh, following on in that, in that verse, he says this, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. So we see the conduct, but we also see the cooperation. Now originally he said, you know, he spoke to them as citizens. Here he's speaking to them as soldiers. The idea is that of a team. They're united by the gospel. Church, what unites us today? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a team. We're a family. We're in the Lord's army, right? I don't know if any of you have seen the movie. I'm not endorsing it. I actually have not seen it. I've seen bits and clips of it, but I heard it was pretty brutal and probably true to form. Uh, was it 380, I think it was? Something like that. But anyway, it's the, it's the story of the, the, the Persian uh, uh, battle of the uh, Spartans. And, you, uh, and the story is told, and it's a true story, uh, the battle of, uh, man, what was the name of that town? But anyway, the, these guys were, were uh, I want to say Thermopolis or something like that. But anyway, these, these Spartan soldiers um, stood for four days against un, just untold numbers of, of, of aggressors against the Greeks, the Persians and the Greeks. And this small band of soldiers, now if you know anything about the Spartans, all right, and I'm not talking about the Michigan team, but you can look at their mascot, but in those days they had these actual these shields, the big shields, and the Romans did this as well. But they would have these big shields, and they also had the long spears in hand, right? Well, those shields would interlock. And so a lot of times what they would do is they would have a long extension of, of men. Ever how many were in, in, that, in that group, in that military, in that platoon? And they would have those shields and they would lock them together. And, and that way when the enemy would attack, they were, they were in one together. And then they would unloose and stab. Unloose and stab. Well, if someone were to fall, there was a second row with their shields propped up against the back of those Spartans. So that if one would fall, the other would step into its place, keeping it locked together. And so they interlocked those. And they, they would oftentimes even form sometimes a complete roundabout so that they, they could not be penetrated. And the history tells that that great battle of Thermopolis, that they actually stood within four days. And you know why they actually fell in the end? 
It wasn't because of the thousands of attackers that were coming at them. It was because someone within betrayed them. Guys, Paul is going to hit home the importance of unity within the body of Christ. And I cannot say this enough, how important it is as a church family that we have each other's back, that we prop each other up so that if one should fall, we're ready to step into the gap. We're ready to fill the gap. We live in a crazy time where COVID is, is keeping a lot of our folks away that used to stand in the gap. It's not that they've necessarily fallen, but there's, there's a need for someone to step in temporarily to hold the line. And that's what we got to do as a church. I'm thankful God is bringing us new people. And as we begin to you know, pour into them and invest into their lives, they begin to grow. And they'll also begin to step in and fill the voids. This is what God has done in His church family. And so Paul is reminding them. He says, look, you want to know what makes you a good citizen? You want to know what makes you a good soldier? It's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed your life. Your life was set on course to hell. And it's not by anything that you've done that is going to make you right in God's eyes. You cannot do anything to make yourself right with God. Jesus Christ did it for you. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You just have to by faith receive it and be thankful. Praise God, He saved us. He didn't want us to die and go to hell. That's why He sent His one and only Son into the world to seek and to save the lost, which is all of us. And whosoever will, let them come. And so he calls out, come, come. If you're hungry and you thirst for righteousness, I will fill you, Jesus says. Will you come? Will you repent and believe? Will you turn from your life of death and destruction? That's where we're headed. Will you turn to the only name under heaven given amongst men by which to be saved? His name is Jesus Christ. And if you haven't called on Him today, I, I beg you to call upon the name of Christ. He will forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. He will make you whole. He will make you complete. He will redeem you because He's paid for it in His own blood. He paid the penalty that you and I owe and He paid it in full. He said it's finished. And so as soldiers... We need to recognize that we're united by the gospel. And again, we need to stand firm. Ephesians, we've kind of been on this theme here for a few weeks, right? Putting on the whole armor of God so we'll be able to withstand. And in that day, doing all that we right, we stand. Stand firm. A lot of times those soldiers would have the, almost like spike grips under their sandals that would keep them from, from losing their footing. Guys, we stand solid when we stand on the foundation of the gospel. We stand firm when we stand upon the Word and the authority of God. Now, if I stand on my own opinion, that's a slippery slope. If I stand on what's popular today in society and culture, I promise you, it won't be popular in society 20, 30, 40 years from now. It's a slippery slope. But when you and I stand firm together as a team, bonded by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when we stand firm on the gospel of Christ, we're on solid ground. 
And that's why Christ said in, in His great Sermon on the Mount that, that in, He goes through all those things and too often times people think, oh, well, I need to do this or I need to do that. No, no, no. He's saying all of those things to say this. Hear what I'm saying. Do what I'm saying. Respond to the gospel. Christ will save you. And that will be like a man who plants and, and builds his house on a rock. And if you don't respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in Him, first off, you'll never be able to do those things that are mentioned in the Sermon of the Mount because you won't have the ability to because you won't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And that's like building your house on the sand. And too often times, people, well-meaning people, good-intentioned people, are trying to build their own house by righteous deeds. It's sinking sand. It won't last. Stand firm together. Stand firm in cooperation because you are united by the gospel. We also see that he says to stand firm in one spirit. Stand firm in one spirit and one mind. Paul, again, is going to begin to explain to them the importance of unity. When we look at the early church in Acts, we see this. Again, I encourage you to go through some time on your own if you're just doing a little study or want to kind of your own personal Bible time. Just go through the book of Acts and try to highlight or circle or underline every time you see the phrase uh, in one accord, like-minded, of one mind, together. I believe when I, in my time in studying the Scriptures and by experiential knowledge and seeing and being a part of, of various ministries, that the greatest church growth happens when we're together. The Bible says it's good for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Why do you think Satan tries his best to cause division? Not just think about your own family. Think about your own job. Think about our government, our nation right now. We're not on the same page. It's divided. Look at the last election results. We are split. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's Bible. That's not Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln quoted that. That's Scripture. That's Christ. Why would we think in our home when there's, when there's division? We're not on the same page. You wonder why there's fighting amongst you? James answers that question. The reason there's fighting amongst us guys is because I want something and you want something and neither of us are willing to give. We don't cooperate. And so we kind of just, hmm, well, I'll take my ball and go play in my yard. You take your ball and play in your yard. Nah. And that's how we act. We act like children. And that's what happens in the church. That's what's happening in our government amongst leaders. Immaturity. we got to grow up. And the only way you and I can grow up is by growing up in the grace of God, in the knowledge of God, and this is what matures you and me so that we can overlook the shortcomings of our brothers and sisters. Amen? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And we ain't even sinning. It's, it's preference of the carpet color, style of the music. That's what's happening in a lot of churches. Praise God, it ain't happening here. We settled that a long time ago. Thank you, Dean. There's one less thing I got to worry about, brother. <laughs> But isn't this how we do? We got to be one spirit. We got to be one mind, guys. That doesn't mean you got to necessarily, well, you know, I wish we would have went red carpet. You know? Well, it's been decided. Move on. Right? Cooperation in the body of Christ is vital to the furtherance of the gospel. 
Ephesians 4.3 says this, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace is hard work. It takes effort. Johnny Hunt said this in regards to this passage. He said, One bad attitude can destroy unity and oneness. Bad attitudes undermine oneness that is vital to unity. Isn't that true? I mean, you get a stinky attitude. Look at all them poochy lips. And the sad thing is, that's a lot of church members. Not here, not here, hallelujah. Better not be any here. <laughs> um, but all, oftentimes, that's our attitude. Whether it's, well, again, whether it's the family, whether it's church, whether it's the government. We have a stinky attitude. And a bad attitude can destroy unity. Especially in a church. And so Paul was saying, because again, what is the Philippians book? Philippians book is the happiest book in all of the New Testament. It's, it's one of the most joyful books in all the Bible. These people had a testimony. This is why Paul was encouraging them. Stand firm, guys. Your unity's in the gospel. Keep that up. Community Baptist Church, I believe there's unity in community. Literally, there is, but I think also spiritually there is. We need to protect that. And so that means sometimes i got to lay down my preferences for the sake of for my brother and sister. i got to forgo maybe what I think is best because this is the direction we're moving. And, and instead of being the one who betrays and allows the things to fall, I need to be the one who's helping to hold that back line, prop them up, hold them up. Cooperation. And also, not only cooperation, but conflict. We'll see that here. Paul is going to talk about this. Notice what he says uh, in regards to this third point of how we are to live for Christ. This is one most Christians today don't want to talk about. Notice verse 28, what he, he picks up and says here. Verse 28. Uh, let me just back it up for the context's sake. Um, in 27, I come and, and see that it, whether absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. What's Paul saying here? Well, he says that when it comes to conflict, he's going to address us now as Christians. He addressed us as citizens. He's addressed us as soldiers. Now he's going to address us, address us as Christians in this section. When it comes to that conflict, it's the faith of the gospel. If you and I are going to live out this life specifically in the area of suffering, and I don't know what some of you are going through today, but God does, but I know what the answer is. It's the same answer to help you in living worthy of your calling. It's the same answer that is in regards to our cooperation one with another. It's the same answer in our conflict, in our suffering. It's the gospel. And so by faith, faith comes by hearing, by the way, hearing by the word of God. 
You, you want to grow in your faith? You say, oh, you know, I wish I had faith that can move a mountain. Guys, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. So if I want my faith to be strengthened, then I better strengthen my study time in the Word of God. I better strengthen my reading of, of the Word. I better strengthen my abiding in the Word of God. Not just hearing it, but doing it. I need to allow the Word of God to begin to get into my heart. I need to allow the Word of God to begin to change me. So that when I say, well, I think I ought to be living and doing this way. And the Word of God says, no, you don't. Am I going to argue or am I going to yield? Let God be true and every man a liar. I need to yield to the Word of God. Well, that's a hard preacher. You better believe it is. It's called dying to self. Because self's an ugly thing, guys. Self rages in the heart of every one of us. Self gets in my way every day. Conflict, suffering by the faith of the gospel. He says here, strive together. We got to strive together. Man, that's uh, almost an oxymoron, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to be together, how can you strive, right? I mean, you know, it, it, it sounds like it. But again, the idea of striving together, it means to struggle along with someone. He went from saying, stand fast, right? to somebody on the team who's struggling, and so you're, you're called to struggle with them. And we do so by the faith of the gospel. Guys, that's the importance of a family, a church family. We all struggle. God doesn't intend for us to struggle alone. You have a team around you. You have a family. And therefore, we need to share those burdens. We need to be ready to lift each other up. We need to strive together in the midst of conflict and suffering. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Laugh with those who laugh. We do this journey together. Again, Paul and all these things, he's using a plurality. He's saying, church, you guys, Jersey, you guys, all right? Southern, y'all, whatever you want to do with it. But it's all of us. We're in this together. We're in this together. And you want to see a team fall apart? <laughs> you watch somebody start doing their own thing. Football on today, you watch some guy run his own route. He's going to be out of sync. Quarterback knows the play. He drops back. He's throwing to that area because he's only got just a matter of seconds to throw to that zone where his guy is supposed to be. And if his guy decides he's going to do his own thing and goes another direction, you ain't scoring there. And so in church life, as believers furthering the gospel, we do so together for the sake of the gospel. Notice what it says here. Look at that scripture again. Not being terrified, all right, which is the proof of their perdition, but as proof to your salvation, that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Uh, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul understands this. He understands that, look, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have an opposing team. But notice what he says. Back it up. 
to that striving together phrase it, it, up in, uh, into 27. Um, one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Team, there's your play. You, you want to know what we're collectively supposed to be doing here at church. It's not to hear a good sermon, go home and eat some chicken pie. All right, that's fine and dandy. But we're here to be equipped to work together as a team for the sake of the gospel. Our purpose to live as Christ, our purpose, Community Baptist Church, is for the gospel. I'm not upset with any you know, sub-ministries, but if we lose sight of the point of this gathering is to equip us to go into the world with the gospel, we've lost sight of the mission. And that's a distraction. And if we're not careful, we end up dividing ourselves, not intentionally. Boy, the enemy, he's scheming. He's slow. He'll, he'll, he'll bite his time. He'll wait. He'll wait, wait, set the hook. we got to be careful. Don't lose sight of our togetherness, right? we got to make sure that we're suited up in the armor of God and that we're on the same team. And that's what Paul is trying to remind them here. Strive together for the gospel. So then he says this, we see intimidation, the proof of perdition. And then we also see uh, the indication or proof of salvation. What does Paul mean by this? Well, easily said, you start living a righteous life for Christ, you start making Christ a priority in your life, you see what happens. Oh, I promise you, it won't be roses. It'll be opposition. I'll never forget as a, as a young believer. Man, I had some issues. I still got issues, but you know, they were really bad back in the day. And I'll never forget, I went over to the uh, pastor of this little country church that, uh, and I just, I went to him. I said, brother, I, I'm just struggling. I was about two weeks in my faith. I mean, I was struggling. Temptation, sin pulling at me. My, my supposed friends were just dogging me out. Oh, Jeremy done got religion, you know, and just kind of making fun of me. And it was, man, I was miserable. Yeah, where's that? You don't hear that preached a lot of times. Hey, come to Jesus and let your life be miserable. You know? Well, you're going to hear it right here today. Come to Jesus and let your life be miserable. Because this ain't our world. We're just passing through. We're strangers in this land. So don't count it odd or, you know, when, when, when people, especially for His name's sake, begin to revile you. That's Bible, guys. And so I said, preacher, I don't understand what's going on. He, he, he laughed at me. Now, you guys have heard the story. I've told this many times, but, but this is fitting for the context. And, and I'm thinking, oh, great, now my preacher's laughing at me. Thanks for the help, pastor, you know. But he, he said, I'm sorry, Jeremy. He said, I don't mean to chuckle. He said, but let me ask you a question. He says, you've been living for the Lord now two weeks. I said, yes, sir. He said, did you have this problem a month ago? I said, no, I was partying a month ago. He says, exactly. He said, what about three weeks ago? Did you have this problem? I said, no. He said, did you have these same problems three years ago? I said, no, sir. He said, exactly. You see, when you're floating downstream, you just go with the current. In life, you've been going with the current, Jeremy. You've just been floating through life, headed to hell. You didn't know it. You're just cruising right along. But now you've repented and you've turned to Christ. You've put your faith and your hope in Him. And guess what you're doing now? You're swimming against the current. 
and everything. If you're in a river and you try to turn against the current, everything that's coming down that current is coming against you. The water itself, not to mention the debris. And guys, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you should not count it strange that all of a sudden things are coming against you. We have missed the doctrine of suffering being taught in the church. Look at how all the followers of Jesus Christ ended their life. All those close disciples of Jesus, they all were uh, martyred, beheaded, sawn in half, crucified upside down, hung, beheaded. I mean, there's just, and the only one that we, we have record of in history, he, didn't, he died of old age, but he was dipped in hot oil, alive, and then cast out onto a, to an island, um, a prison. We have lost the understanding of suffering. We have brothers and sisters around the world that know what it is to count the costs. I don't know if I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ because if I do, then I will have no place to live. The village will want to kill me. My family will disown me. No Thanksgiving meal for me. That's the heart and attitude in some people in some countries. They know Jesus is pulling at them. Trust me. Surrender your life to me. But if I do, it's going to cost me my life. You better weigh it. But Jesus said, if any man were to lose his life for my sake, he'll gain it. But if you try to hang on to your life, in the end you're going to lose it. So that's not really a decision, is it? I've got to surrender my life to Christ. Yeah, it costs you your life here and now in those places around the world, but you're ushered into the presence of glory. And great is your reward. Suffering should be the norm for us believers. And yet we're opposite of that here in America, man. Let's just be real. This is why we get amped up over, over certain things, political or even in church meetings or even in our families. We want comfortable living. We want comfortable life. We want things to stay how they are. And look, I'm not saying that there's anything sinful or wrong with, with having a little comfort in your life, but I'm saying this. We've lost what it means to suffer for the name of Christ. And I'm not so sure we're not entering into some purifying and purging of the church and believers. We know the Scripture tells us there will come a day of separation between the goats and the sheep. There will come a day of sifting between the wheat and the chaff. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I would rather have that take place first and know who's standing next to me is in lockstep. And so we need to decide this day, choose this day whom you will serve. Jesus Christ is worthy. The gospel is worthy. Whether it's in the midst of, uh, 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 whether it's in the midst of um, conflict or whether it's in the, in the midst of our cooperation or, or whether it's in our conduct, the, the gospel is worthy. And so, if you've got opposition, there's some intimidation. They know. You stirred the hornet's nest. They don't like you shining your, shining your gospel light in their face. That's offensive. You, you know the story when a, when a military uh, defeated an army and they would march them back into town 
And, and they would pull, coming behind them would be a lot of times those defeated soldiers. And as they would come back into the town, the town of the victor, there would be this smell of, of, of perfume and roses and just flowers and things that would, would don the streets. And there's, there's this scent, this smell of these militaries bringing through the captives. And for the people who were safe, the people who were the victor, that was a sweet smell, the smell of victory. But for those that were being ushered in in chains, it was the smell of death. Guys, the, Paul talks about this. He says, look, there, the, this is the, the, the smell. It, it, to some people, the gospel is a sweet smell. It's a, it's, a savor, it's a savor of life, but to others it's death. So don't count it strange when you're sharing the truth of God's Word and it offends some people or makes them mad or they're repulsed by it. For them, it's, in, it's proof of perdition. But for us, it's proof of salvation. Amen? Don't count it strange the fiery trial that's taken you. Look, they hated me, Jesus said. They're going to hate you. I think we're starting to dawn the day in America where we're, we may begin to see a little more hatred towards those of you who profess the name of Jesus Christ. But church, let me tell you, stand. Stand together. Strive together for the gospel. For the gospel. Conflict's going to come. This is strange. Look at this. He says here, the gift of the gospel. Okay? So in conflict, we see the faith of the gospel, but we also see the gift of the gospel. And that means we're going to suffer together. And we've talked about that. And notice what he says. Again, he says, for you it's been granted on behalf of Christ. Granted what? Granted to believe and granted to suffer. Look at it in the context of the Scripture. Circle those two words. It's been granted to you to circle, believe, look at the other, and it's been granted for you to suffer. That's a gift. Merry Christmas. <laughs> You're going to suffer. If God says it's a gift, guys, it's a gift. It may not feel like a gift, but it's a gift. Not only have you been given a gift to believe in the gospel, all right? That's the grace of God. By the way, that word granted, look at that word granted in your text. Underline that word granted. The, the word there, my daughter, Karis, is not in here. She's in the, in, the, in the nursery. She's working today, but she's under grace. Karis means grace in Greek. The root word in granted is the word grace. In the noun form, it's grace. You've been given grace to believe, and you've been given grace to suffer. Man, that's good to know, because I can't do this on my own, God. I can't believe apart from you, and I definitely can't suffer apart from you. But you know what? His grace is sufficient. That's good, guys. That's good news. That's the gospel. We're called to suffer. It's a gift. It's been granted to us. 1 Peter 5.10 reiterates this. Peter writing says, But may the God of all grace, 
who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And again, the word perfect there, this idea of, of completing you. Sometimes we've got to go through some stuff, right? And it'll help establish us. It'll help strengthen us. But in the end, it'll settle us. That's good to know, guys. Don't turn away suffering. I know we want to get out of that moment. We want the pain to stop. Again, we, 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 we've gotten spoiled living in comfort, but sometimes we need some stuff to happen in our life to keep us close to God, to settle us. We also see uh, 1 Peter 4.13, he writes this, he says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Remember the theme of Philippians? Joy. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And he's saying to Peter, saying, look, rejoice to the extent that you have been granted to suffer with Christ. You're in great company, man. If God says, you know what? Which one of these believers today am I going to allow the privilege of suffering? I'm going to give that to sister so-and-so. I'm going to give that to brother so-and-so. In the moment, it feels terrible. But in the end, it will be to your reward. So handle it well. Navigate by the grace of God. Lean on His strength, not your own understanding, guys. You'll never make it through suffering by leaning on your own understanding, dealing in it in your own strength, thinking through, you know, from Sister Better News advice. No, no, no. We need the foundation of the Word of God to guide us in those seasons, right? The grace of God. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. To live is blank. If to live is Christ, and you choose to live godly in Christ, you will suffer persecution. But count it a privilege. Count it an honor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, that you allowed me to see this, right? That you allowed me the privilege to go through this. Yeah, it's not something I would have signed up for. That's for sure. But help me to have your eyes. Help me to have your heart. I'm not happy about the circumstances. I'm not happy about this sickness. I'm not happy about this death. I'm not happy about this conflict at work. I'm not happy about... No, I'm not happy about those things, God. But I trust you in the middle of it. And I trust that if, if you've allowed this into my life, you're an all-knowing God. Therefore, it's for my good and it's for your glory. Help me navigate through it. And lean on your family, your spiritual family, your church family to see you through the plurality of what Paul's addressing here for the gospel is us. You've heard of the story of uh, eagles. And um, I, I want to share this illustration. Many of us have seen the pictures of the huge eagle's nest up on the high uh, rocks, branches, uh, crag of a cliff. But few of us have gotten a glimpse inside. Let me describe it. When a mother eagle builds her nest, she turns with thorns, broken branches, 
She starts with those things. She puts in the thorns, the broken branches, sharp rocks, a number of other items that seem entirely unsuitable for the project. But when she lines the nest with a thick padding of wool, feathers, and fur from animals, she's killed, making it soft and comfortable for the eggs. By the time the growing birds reach flying age, the comfort of the nest and the luxury of free meals make them quite reluctant to leave. That's when the mother eagle begins stirring up the nest. With her strong talons, she begins pulling up the thick carpet of fur and feathers, bringing the sharp rocks and branches to the surface. As more of the bedding gets plucked up, the nest becomes more uncomfortable for the young eagles. Eventually, this and other urgings prompt the growing eagles to leave their once comfortable abode and move on to more mature behavior. That's what causes them to fly. Guys, sometimes those baby eagles are in the nest. And it's comfortable. But if we're going to grow and get mature, there's going to be some uncomfortable things that's going to poke and prod. And, and the goal is God is trying to prepare us to fly. And so I, I, when I think of this picture, I think of the suffering for Christ. It's to mature us. It's to grow us up. It's to make us more complete. Many of you are familiar with the Nicene Council. This was the group of believers in, in, in um, uh, the 4th century that gathered. And again, they gathered for the sake of there was a lot of heresy being circulated. And so the true believers come together to say, look, we've, we've got to stand together and, and expose the heresies. At the Nicene Council in the 4th century A.D., of the 318 delegates attending... Listen to this. Of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 12, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their Christian faith. That was the early church. That's a sobering look, again, at the doctrine of suffering for the sake of Christ. And so I wonder again, church, where we are today. How are we living? And so in conclusion, let's wrap this up. When it comes to how we are to live for Christ, our conduct should be worthy of the gospel. Our cooperation should be united by the gospel. And even our conflict should be lived out by faith of the gospel and seen as a gift of the gospel. Martin Luther made the following statement. If we consider the greatness in the glory of the life we shall have when we've risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If I believe the word, I shall on the last day 
after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonment, but I shall also say, oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory which I now see revealed and which has come to me through the merit of Christ. It's a gift. Christ has given you Himself. Do you believe? Whosoever shall believe in Him shall be saved. And He's also given us, church, not only the gift to believe, but He's given us the gift to suffer. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your gift, uh, most importantly of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, my prayer is today, if there be anyone here that does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, if they're honest with themselves, they know if they died today, they would die in their sin, unforgiven. And Lord, that's not Your desire. You've drawn them here today to hear the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ came to save you. His desire is that He doesn't want you to pay in eternity for your sins. No, instead He came to pay your debt that you could not pay. And that's why Christ lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and He laid down His life in your place. You see, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Him, He who knew no sin, became sin. He took sin upon Himself for you. He took your punishment. That's what the cross is about. To appease a perfect God was going to take a perfect sacrifice. You and I cannot give that. But He can. And He did. And He died on our behalf. And three days later, He rose from the grave to prove He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to turn to Him today. Put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Not your good works, not your behavior. In Christ. Put your faith in Christ. And He promises if you'll do that, He'll save you. Right now in this moment, you can turn to Him. You can call out to Him. He, he's listening. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to come forward. He sees you right where you are. He knows where you are. He sees the depths of your heart and your soul. Just right where you are, call out to Him. Lord, forgive me. I've, I've sinned. I, I, I know I've broken your law. I know I've sinned against you. And, I, and Lord, I, I believe Christ died in my place. And I believe that He was buried and rose again. And so therefore, I put my hope and my faith and my trust in Christ to forgive me in Him alone. For by grace have you been saved through faith. That not of yourself, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift of God. Receive that gift today by faith. And He promises that whoever has called upon His name shall be saved. Right there, right now. Call on Him.
Lord, salvation belongs to you. And I trust that in this moment, your Holy Spirit is dealing with hearts and that people are responding in saving faith. And if you're here and you have called on the name of Christ today, today's your day of salvation. We'd like to hear about it. Send me an email. Tell me on the way out, Pastor, today I asked Christ to save me. Today I called on Christ to to transform my life. I I want Christ to be my Savior. Today Today I got saved. And only God knows your heart. I don't know your heart. But I know what the Word of God says. And He says if anyone comes to Him, He won't turn them away. So let us know that. We want to pray with you. We want to help you grow. And if you're here and you are a Christian, church, let me remind us, strive together. Let our conduct be worthy of the gospel. Let our cooperation be also for the gospel. And in our conflict, may it be by faith of the gospel. Father, we thank you for this precious time. And we pray as we go from here that we will go and live for Christ. For His name's sake. In His name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Enjoy your week. Um, again, no evening. Uh, we'll Wednesday night. Uh, there will be no Wednesday night this week. So enjoy your Thanksgiving. And uh, pray for us. We're going to try and get out of town and visit some family. Um, Brother Dean uh, will be on call, if anything. Randall will be available as well. Um, but we certainly appreciate the opportunity to, for us to be able to visit some family as well. So at this time, you're dismissed. Hope you have a blessed day.